Praise the Lord. Let's talk to God this evening. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I love you tonight. I love you tonight. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for this service. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I want to say that it is a, a privilege to be here tonight. And uh, thank you for the bass. Also for the invitation to come. Counted an honor as I have the other times that I have <clears throat> been given this opportunity. And I don't take it lightly. I have been looking forward to this meeting for some time. Uh, actually, I made a commitment <clears throat> to myself and to my church, my family this year, try to stay home more. I start out with good intentions anyhow and uh, have uh, canceled a number of engagements that I had because we have things that we need to do at home, but this was one meeting that I was going to do my very best to come to anyway. I have been so blessed here the last several years and uh, appreciate Brother Bass giving me this open door again uh, this time and we have as has already been said been greatly blessed by the preaching that we have heard last night from my good friend brother Phillips traveling companion I want you to know that God performs miracles you get two black clouds together and that plane came all the way here and landed safely that's remarkable <clears throat> They say two negatives makes a positive, so maybe that's what did it. I don't know, but all I know is, like he said last night, I wasn't with him two minutes, and we were almost in a fist fight. Some other guy got it in for him and was ready to fight. I mean, he was, and I did what every good friend should do. I left him. <laughs> I thought if there's going to be any bloody noses, there's just going to be one, not two. <clears throat> but uh, uh, anyhow, it's good to be here today, Brother Weeks. Blessed me so much. I wish that my whole church family could have heard what he had to say. And I probably will be plagiarizing that a little bit. And I told him I'm going to try to give him credit for it. But uh, Brother Bowie also, I have... Uh, not heard Brother Bowie preach for some time, and it was so good, so refreshing, and I enjoyed it today. And I have been actually looking forward to this meeting, but dreading this night. Uh, we've had a lot of sickness in my home the last few weeks. My wife and all three boys, in their turn, came down with sickness of one kind or another, and uh, I thought that I had escaped. They were all getting better. And I thought, well, it's past. A lot of sickness in the church. And I woke up Friday morning not feeling quite right. And I uh, feared the worst. And sure enough, by Sunday, I had to ask uh, another preacher in the area to come and preach. I had no voice at all. It was completely gone. Not even a sound. And it was that way for two or three days. I have done everything I can the last five days to get enough of it back to be able to preach a little bit this evening and might blow it out in 15 minutes but we're going to try 
Amen. But it's just good to be here. See everybody that's here, all of the preacher friends, and all of you mean so much to me. Amen. Will you help me obey the Lord tonight? Let me just give you advanced warning. I am not going to uh, make any apologies for my message, uh, but I will say this. I will qualify it <clears throat> in this way. I uh, am probably not going to be painting with a broad brush. What I have to say tonight may not affect or impact the large segment of what we call Pentecost or what we're doing in, in having church, trying to obey the will of God in this hour. Uh, and it may not be of, of utmost importance or of top priority, but it is a factor. And it is a segment, and it is a portion, and I really feel that the Lord has impressed this on my heart, and I'm going to do my best tonight. If you'll give me some water, somebody, and PA man, please be kind to me. If you see me, if you see me wavering, give me some more volume. Don't let me work too hard at the beginning or we'll really be in trouble. Amen. So be kinder to my voice than you are to your ears, please at least on this one occasion. Everybody say praise the Lord. You'll turn to a very, a very familiar story in the book of John chapter 5. John chapter 5, reading beginning with verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, <clears throat> which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole, whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case... Let me just pause there a moment and say that as I was reading that a few days ago, it arrested my attention. I, I guess I had never noticed that it said that and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. Jesus knew for a long time before he ever walked in that day the condition of that man. I want you to know that God sees you where you're at today as well. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? <clears throat> the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. 
The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed, told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. I want to give you two titles tonight. <clears throat> the first one is for the tape man. This is the title I want you to put on the tape. And it is simply this. The second worst enemy of Jesus. The second worst enemy of Jesus. And the reason I said I'm giving you that one to put on the tape is because my real title, if you put that on the tape, a lot of folks are going to misunderstand it. And do believe me when you say that you have to live with the aftermath of these things. Tapes get spread far and wide. So please put that on the tape. <clears throat> My second title is this, The Trouble with Tradition. The Trouble with Tradition. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. <clears throat> I said that this is the second greatest enemy of Jesus because, of course, I must say that Satan is the worst enemy. Uh, I would be making a mistake tonight to minimize or underestimate to any of us tonight the threat that the devil poses to you and I and to the kingdom of God. The Bible very plainly makes this statement, your adversary, the devil. Now we have more than one adversary, but I want you to know he is first and foremost your adversary. He's out to get you. He's plotting your and my destruction even as we are here tonight enjoying this service. He hates the work of God, despises everything that God does. He is there to withstand and oppose at every turn and everything that happens. And still, <clears throat> I read where Jesus met that adversary right in the initial days of his ministry when he was led of the spirit into the wilderness and there he was tempted of the devil for 40 days in the wilderness 
and he defeated him handily. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. There was not even a question about what the outcome was going to be. The result was not even in doubt. He took care of that problem right off the bat, right at the beginning. But what I have come to talk to you tonight, he did not defeat and conquer so easy. It came up before him time and time again to hinder him and to oppose him. Praise the Lord. And that was the contention that Jesus had continually with the Jews over their traditions. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Let me give you, first of all, the definition of the word tradition. It simply means a transmission or something surrendered or yielded up. An inherited pattern of thought or action, continuity of attitudes and institutions. It is something handed down or handed down information, beliefs, or customs. And so, as we all know, not all tradition is bad. There's a lot of good tradition, and I don't want you to misunderstand my motive tonight. I am grateful for many of our traditions. I am proud tonight to be an American, and I am thankful for many of our American traditions that have been handed down to us throughout the centuries, that uh, many of them resulted by struggles and conflict and um, crises that arose. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of a country, whether it lives up to it or not, that still has a tradition of being one nation under God. Amen. I'm proud of our liberties. I am thankful for our individual freedoms that we yet enjoy. I'm thankful for the traditions we have of flag and, and uh, paying homage and respect to these things that help make us what we are and define who we are and com combine to form a very rich uh, heritage that we all enjoy and hold dear tonight. Praise God. And if you took that away, we would no longer be the people that we are. Thank God for those traditions. Amen. Likewise, I am thankful this evening for many of our Pentecostal traditions. Just in case there would be any knuckleheads here tonight and lame brains that would seize upon my subject or my title and begin to, uh, to grin inwardly or have any false sense of glee and euphoria and think that I'm going to start shooting down some of these things that we have been holding on to for so long. You are badly mistaken this evening. I'm thankful for the way that we have church. I'm glad for camp meetings and anniversary meetings and fellowship services and all these things that are a part of Pentecost. I'm thankful for our traditions in worship. I'm, I'm not ashamed of the way that we have church. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of a hand clapping, foot stomping, aisle running, amen, worshiping with a loud noise, amen, group of people. This is Pentecost. If you took that away, it wouldn't be Pentecost anymore. 
you stumbled into an apostolic meeting tonight. This is not a Baptist church. It's not a Presbyterian meeting. It's not a Catholic conclave. It is a Pentecostal Pentecostal conference. Amen. And that's why we're making the noise that we're making and doing the things that we're doing. No, not all of it may be absolutely necessary, but I'm thankful for these things that have become a part of our tradition. People come to church, they want to see people leaping for joy and rolling in the aisles, and they want to still see some real bona fide, amen, holy rollers. I'm glad to be a part of that tonight. Amen. I'm glad for some of our our conservative traditions that have been passed down. I'm 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 still glad to see the old fashioned little Pentecostal hairstyles that that we still have. A lot of churches don't have them anymore, but I still think that it's it's attractive and it's beautiful. Amen. A lot of folks ashamed of it today, but I'm not. I think it's a tradition worth holding on to. There are some traditions we better hold on to tonight. Praise God. There are other things that uh, have come about because of the result of our response to situations in the world around us. Amen. We're still against television. Amen. I said we're still against television. We're still against Hollywood. We're still against the influence and the influx, amen, of society into our churches and into our homes. Hallelujah, into our thinking, into our families. Come on here tonight. Not ashamed of that. Don't get nervous when somebody starts preaching it because, amen, it's something we're going to keep on holding on to. Amen. We still don't go to bowling alleys. We still don't go to the pool halls. There's still some places we don't go, and there's still some things we don't do. Still some things we don't wear. Still some people we don't go around. Call it tradition if you want to, but I'm thankful for some traditions. We're going to keep on holding on to them. Hallelujah. Come on, you're going to have to help me here tonight. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful even for some things that maybe are not outright transgressions of the law. Amen. But they are stands that we have taken that afford us a safety margin of separation from this so wicked, sinful world that we're in. Amen. There's people all the time coming up wanting chapter and verse for every little thing that we do. I'm just going to tell you up front and I'm not, in, I'm not making apologies for it. There's some things we don't have chapter and verse for. We have just learned over time that it's a safe position to take. It's some things that are worth holding on to because it just keeps us a safe distance away from the trouble and from the danger. If you want to call it tradition, then call it tradition. But there's some things, amen, that are still worth fighting for. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Amen. So I don't want you to misunderstand my motive tonight. My very first message to my church that I'm pastoring today. Been there almost 10 years now. The very first message that I preached in my installation service. Amen. Was from 2 Thessalonians. Amen. 2 and 15. Where the apostle is addressing some who because they would not have a love for the truth. Amen. That God would send them strong delusion and allow them to believe a lie that they might all be damned because they didn't believe this. And the apostle gives a good cure for that malady. He said, stand fast and hold the traditions. Amen. That you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. My first message to my church was, don't think that just because you're getting a new pastor that I'm coming in here and changing everything you've ever heard. Thank God for the foundation that has been laid. We're not going to change the foundation. We're just going to keep on building on it. It's still holiness or hell. Amen. You still got to get in here and live right. Get consecrated, separated, sanctified. Amen. Doing the will of God. Amen. And I meant it so much that I have had, I have uh, one or two times since then preached it again just to remind our church family that I still feel that way, that I haven't changed my mind. Amen. I'm coming up on my 10th anniversary and I'm thinking about preaching it again. Amen. Because there's been some young kids that have grown up since then and they need to hear me say one more time. Amen. I'm not the originator of this. I came after a lot of good men that blazed the trail and fought the battle. And I'm not going to tear down what they built up. I'm just going to try to add my little two cents to it. Stand fast and hold the traditions. I'm not ashamed of my forefathers. I'm not ashamed of their crudeness. I'm not ashamed of some of their lack of education. I'm not ashamed, amen, of the fact that some of them didn't go to Bible school and they didn't learn when to do that hands just so and how many steps to take forward and backward they just shot from the hip and preached it like it was and let the chips fall where they may I'm not embarrassed of them I'm glad for our apostolic traditions Amen. I don't appreciate some of these knotheads that have come along and they want to reorganize and change everything. Amen. Just because we're living in a new day. It's not such a new day, my friend. Same old devil, same old world, same old spirit, same old demons. Call it new age if you, it's not new age, it's old age. It's just old, old ideas and old concepts with new suit jackets on that. That's all. Amen. But there's only one thing that will adequately repel that that challenge to our beliefs and to our doctrine. And it is somebody standing up and preaching the word of God just the way that it needs to be. 
Amen. That same book says in the third chapter and sixth verse, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the traditions that you received of us. There's some folks you can't have fellowship with. There's some folks you can't run with. There's some conferences you can't go to. Amen. Because all they're trying to do is make fun of old time holiness. They get up and make their little snide remarks and their little jokes. Hallelujah. I'm glad of the men that are around me here tonight. This is a safe place. I feel good to be in the company of this caliber of apostolic ministry. Amen. Amen. So I just want to let you know, Brother Bowie said it well today. Seems like sometimes we have to spend a lot of time out of our messages just reassuring people. And maybe that's the only reason I said all that. But I just want, in case somebody gets a tape later, I want them to know that I'm not here to tear any of that down. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I came to preach to you about. I'm talking about a different kind of tradition. A tradition that is rooted in error. A tradition that is rooted in fear and prejudices. Amen. A tradition that, that becomes, that develops because of ulterior motives that men have and agendas that men or groups of men have. Amen. That develop traditions that, amen, they are not complementary to the doctrine. They supplant the doctrine. They take precedence over the doctrine. They take precedence over the mind and the will of God. Amen. Jesus knew what the law said. He was the Word incarnate. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't come to tear down the law. He came to fulfill it. And yet he ran headlong into, amen, a lot of ideas and, and opinions and, and the traditions that prevented him from fulfilling the mission that he had come to fulfill. And I want you to know that that did not disappear somewhere from then to now. It didn't evaporate. It was not just a stage. It wasn't a seasonal thing. It still exists even in our day. But let me just take a little time and just show you very briefly, as briefly as I can anyhow, and still do it justice. Amen. Some of the things that Jesus encountered. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 15, amen, that the Pharisees came and they charged Jesus concerning his disciples. And they said, why do thy disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? Amen. And the issue at hand was the fact that they did not always wash their hands before they ate. I want you to notice the wording. They said, your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders. The traditions of the elders became of primary importance. I want you to notice how Jesus answered. Why do you transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? I'm just telling you what Jesus said. 
Why do you transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? And he proceeded to give them some illustrations. And he talked, for instance, about the commandment to honor your father and mother. And he said, I know what you do. You go to your mom and dad and you give them just a little token something and you say, it is a gift. And you feel that you have discharged your responsibility. And you go on about your business. And you did not grasp the essence and the principle of that commandment. Honoring your father and mother is not just passing by and giving them a little pat on the back and a little gift to tide them over and make you feel like you did your duty. Amen. It's a whole lot more than that. And with other examples, he went on to express to them, you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. In other words, they learned how to beat the principles of the commandments on technicalities. They found loopholes. They found ways to get around it and made the loopholes the traditions and thereby it could still claim to fulfill the commandment while skirting around it. I thought, man, isn't that alive and well today? How about young ladies who may not cut their hair, but they put the little perms in them so that it shortens their hair anyhow. No, they never actually took a scissors and cut it, but they still accomplished the same thing. Or what about those that fix their hair so that it looks cut? I'm telling you, it's all the same thing in the eyes of God. He knows your heart. You might be able to stand and say, I have kept the commandment, but if you're trying to find little loopholes and ways around it, You have transgressed the commandments. Amen. Yeah, your skirt might be all the way down to your ankles, but if it's split up past your knee and up your thigh, I'm not impressed with the overall length of your skirts. Amen. Better get off of that. Brother Bass and I just came from shootout at the OK Corral here some time back. Amen. Doing great part to that very issue. I just tell you the way that I do it at home, you do it any way you want to. I'm not, my word is not the final word. But I tell our people not one inch, not two inches. Because as soon as you do it one inch, it just keeps on creeping on up. This business about it being as long as it's below the knee is, amen, it sounds good, but in practice it's not working too good. I've stood around altars, amen, in altar services and had to turn my head. Young ladies with skirts split halfway up their thigh and claim to go to church, amen, and yet the length is there, but the principle is gone. I'm telling you, these holiness doctrines of ours, they're more than just traditions. There's a principle involved. It's not a matter of how much is how long and how how much, but it's a matter of a principle of purity and sanctification in your heart. (laughs) 
Amen. And so Jesus said, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he said, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Amen. In the 12th chapter of Matthew, amen, here comes the, the Jews again. And this time they challenge Jesus and his disciples because they're out there in the cornfields plucking corn on the Sabbath day. And they said, it's not lawful to do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus responded, did you not read where David, when he was hungry, amen, he went into the tabernacle and he ate the shoe bread and those that were with him. And I want to stop here a moment and say, amen, that I, I, I hesitated over that phrase, and they that were with him, because had David not taken the initiative, they would have all died of hunger and starvation, or at least been overrun by the enemy that was pursuing them, or that they were contending with that day. Somebody had to take the initiative. It was not lawful to eat the shoe bread out of the tabernacle. But what is more important, keeping the shoe bread on the table or preserving a man's life and preserving victory and the liberty of God's people? And there was a perceptive priest that said, I'm going to give him that shoe bread, even though this is not standard operating procedure, because I want him to live. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then Jesus went on to say, and what about the priests that are in the temple? And because they have to fulfill their priestly duties on the Sabbath day, they are by fulfilling their priestly duties also profaning the Sabbath day. Because they're doing work on the Sabbath day. And yet Jesus said, they are blameless. And he said, I want you to know that there is one standing here right now that is greater than the temple. Oh, I feel strength coming here tonight. Feel like preaching here a little while. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. And then he said, I'm going to tell you boys something. Amen. This is God's, this is God's principle now. This is God's standard operating procedure. He said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I'm more interested in showing mercy than I am in your little protocol, in your little ritual, in your little form, in your little fashion, in you dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. I am more interested in mercy. I'm losing some of you now. But then he went on to say this. Amen. Mark's rendition. Amen. Well, he went on to say, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And then Mark takes up the same story and he adds these words. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You're getting the cart before the horse. God is more interested in the preservation of his people than he is in the preservation of a tradition. I know you can read a lot into that. Amen. And go 
crazy with it and draw the wrong conclusions and everything else. I already said I'm not going to apologize for my message. I don't feel very good tonight. Amen. And if you take me wrong, that's your problem. If I drop my watermelon, Brother Bass, just take me to the motel later, give me a shot of NyQuil, tuck me in, and wake me up in time to go to the airport. But I feel in the will of God tonight. Amen. And so you know what happened that very same day? He went into the synagogue after having that discussion with them. Went into the synagogue and guess who was there? A man with a withered hand. And Jesus healed that man, told him to stretch forth his hand. Amen. And the, the, uh, the Jews again asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I read that and I thought, man, what an incredible statement. Is that a contradiction or what? Is that incongruous or what? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? When is it illegal to heal? Amen. And so Jesus said, what man of you, if you have a sheep and that sheep falls into a pit, amen, do you not go and take him out? And he said, how much more is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on Sabbath days. You missed it, boys. You didn't grasp the principle. The Sabbath day was not a day to, to take a vacation from doing everything that was right and proper. The Sabbath day was just a day to give you a little relaxation and rest. But it's still the time to do the right thing and to do well and to help and to heal. I want to, I want you to know tonight that God had to make exceptions per se to some of His own laws. Oh, I know they're not really exceptions because He made provisions. But the law said you should have died. The law said you should have gone to hell. The law said because of some of the things you've done or all the things you've done, you ought to split hell wide open. You're not here because you were so holy. You are not here because your pedigree was so pristine. You're not here because you're just such a remarkable individual. You're here because God had mercy on your wretched soul. My heart was distressed neath Jehovah's dread frown. And lo, in the pit where my sins dragged me down, I cried to the Lord from the deep miry clay who tenderly brought me out to golden day. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today. It's a song of praise. Hallelujah. He didn't have to do it, but I'm so glad he did. Luke chapter 13 talks about a woman that came to Jesus. 
with a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. 18 years. A spirit of infirmity. And Jesus, first of all, the Bible says this. She was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. For 18 years, she couldn't get up. Without divine intervention, she was helpless. And Jesus healed her. And she straightened up. And here come the Jews again. You have six days to do your healing in. But no healing on the Sabbath day. Shop is closed on the Sabbath. No healings on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you hypocrites. Doth not each one of you take your ox and your ass and you lead him to watering on the Sabbath day? You give that beast something to drink on the Sabbath. And here is this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan hath bound these 18 years. And you want to fuss with me for healing her on the Sabbath? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And the Bible said, when he had said all these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. But I like this part. But the people rejoiced for all the glorious things done by him. Oh, God, somehow help me to get this across. Let me tell you what the bottom line in all of this is. Because I'm not going to have voice of time to tell you about it all. But the bottom line is this. It doesn't matter if you have to walk. It doesn't matter if you have to run. It doesn't matter if you have to crawl through a crowd to touch the hem of his garment. It doesn't matter if you have to climb up a sycamore tree. It doesn't matter if you have to come down through the roof. Just get help. Just any way that you can get it. Just get help. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It doesn't matter what's normal. It doesn't matter what's proper. It doesn't matter what's the usual protocol. It doesn't matter the song service, testimony service, preaching. You don't have to wait when you need help. You can get your help just any old way you need to. Amen. God is interested in supplying your need more than he is in following our tradition. <laughs> Amen. You can be seated a few days ago. We have an older sister in our church who came to us a few years ago. Amen. And, and uh, devil torments her all the time. Amen. Devil torments her all the time. I don't believe she's devil possessed. Devil's told her she's devil possessed. But he's a liar. How do you know when the devil's lying? When he's talking. Every time he says something, he's lying. 
Even when he quotes scripture, he's always twisting it just a little bit, leaving one little word out or something to distort the meaning of it. Amen. So the devil came and told me some things were true. Oh, no, he didn't. He distorted it somehow. He's a liar. He's the father of liars. Amen. Furthermore, she's been there several years. Personally, I don't believe somebody can be devil-possessed and sit through red-hot apostolic service after red-hot apostolic service and not show themselves. I've seen her worship. I've seen her talk in tongues. I've seen God bless her. I feel confident within myself that she is not devil possessed but she's tormented all the time the devil comes and speaks to her audibly through the day and tells her to commit suicide and she's troubled with this amen say well my god what kind of church you got same kind you've got honey all kinds of problems Amen. So the other night, I mean, we were having a high service and uh, I, I never got to my message, just kind of got interrupted in the middle of all that and just went from exhorting to, you know how we do. And uh, I, I mean, it was rocking. And I looked over there and I just felt impressed to call her up. We called her up and laid hands on her and prayed for her a good while. It felt like the Lord gave her a real touch and some victory. Amen. And then just on a whim, I tell you, I don't know what possessed me to do it. I can't believe I did it yet. Amen. I want you to know something. I love this book. I'm, t- I'm not talking about the Bible per se. I'm talking about this book right here. This leather bound with paper book. I don't like to set things on top of it. I don't like anybody else to carry it. I don't like anybody else to look at it. It's personal to me. It's my Bible. I treasure it. Amen. I, 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 I try to take good care of it. I feel very particular about this book. Amen. And something just got a hold of me. And I took my Bible and threw it down on the floor and I told her I said sister get on top of that Bible she got up on it with her high heels and everything and I said now just start claiming the promises in that book tears are running down her face she didn't just claim the promises she started dancing on it I tell you, I would have never normally done that. But we've got to allow God some room to move without our little protocol, without a little procedure, without a little tradition. I'm not admonishing you to do the same thing. It just happened that night. I'm just here to tell you whatever it takes for somebody to get help. We need to get them the help that they need. What a rut tradition can put us in. Amen. What a delicate balance and fine line I'm walking here tonight. I told Brother Phillips today, I said I ought to be shot for even thinking about preaching what I'm going to preach here tonight. Sure as the world, somebody's going to misunderstand me. But uh, they won't be the first time, probably won't be the last. So just get in line, bub. <sighs> Amen. 
I grew up in a missionary home. I'm partial to missionaries. I admire the work he's doing. I really do. And in our little fellowship that I'm part of sometimes... Hey, man, I have to be involved in that, amen, quite heavily. And, you know, I'm dismayed. I'm dismayed when a man will cut off a missionary just because he disagrees with them over something like Christmas. I mean, stop sending funds to the foreign field where a man and his family is laboring in a, in a strange environment to do a work for God and save people from their heathenism and, and we want to withhold our little old fifty dollars or hundred dollars just because amen we don't agree with them on every little old prince every little old doctrinal line if you're like that you are a sorry person you remind me of a pharisee god is against you What's more important, amen, your little disagreement over a doctrinal point or the fact that they're out there giving somebody the name of Jesus that has never heard it before? Uh, you, you have to understand that I'm presuming they do preach Acts 2.38 and all of this. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. In fact, we don't just do it to the missionaries, we do it with one another. If it's not Christmas, it's communion, or if it's, it's something else, my Lord, we'll just take that big knife out and cut off all kinds of people. And we feel so good because we have preserved our little tradition, and God is saying, you missed the larger principle. I don't have to agree with a man on every single point to love him. I learned that as an evangelist. Eleven years on the evangelistic field. Hey man, I tell you this right now. If you are going out on the evangelistic field and you're going to draw swords with every pastor you preach for on every single doctrinal point, you better, you better develop a liking for washing dishes and bussing tables. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I even had to preach for some men who I personally did not feel I could sit under myself if I had to. That's the truth. But while I was in their pulpit, I held them up and promoted them and encouraged that church and tried to do everything that I could. I don't have to agree with every man just on, on every single thing just to have him in a liking for them. And I don't feel like I have to take a ball back to everybody with whom I disagree. And when I don't see them no more, dust my hands and feel like I did something good. I'd rather they stick around where maybe the Word of God can get to them sooner or later. 
I feel that way in my own church. Say they look better going than coming all you want to. I don't think so. Even if they're double-barreled hypocrites, as long as they're on that pew, some day, some night, some message might reach them. I can't help them when they're not there. I said I can't help them when they're not there. I can only help them while they're there. You can be seated. My voice is leaving me. I gotta, gotta hurry. Amen. Or, or, or see some missionaries, some missionary slide presentation, maybe from India somewhere, and see a mustache on a man. Oh, come on now. Say, so you mean you, you believe in mustaches? No. Amen. But you might be looking at a man who just a few weeks ago walked out of Hinduism and left a whole culture behind and in some cases may have been excommunicated by his family. It took something for him to take a stand for Jesus Christ. It was more than just you driving to a different church in another part of town. It cost them something. I'm not going to sell the whole work short just because I see something that doesn't agree with me on every point. She a short sleeve on somebody from South America. Oh my God, I'm going to quit supporting them. They don't believe nothing. How can you say that in good conscience? And I believe in long sleeves. Don't misunderstand me. But I grew up there. I know what some of those people have to put up with. Amen. You preach to them long enough, they'll eventually come around. But they don't always have the pocket change to run down to Walmart Supercenter and buy a whole new wardrobe just because they prayed through last Sunday night. Some of them were witch doctors and devil worshippers and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it took something for them to take that step. And they come under threats and persecution and all kinds of opposition. I salute them for taking a stand for the name of Jesus Christ. You know what the problem is sometimes? We don't have enough faith and enough confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Soon as somebody is quote unquote converted, we want to see a Pentecostal that looks, amen, like they've been in church for 50 years. When we've got rebels in our own congregations, we can't keep walking right from one week to the next. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> Stand then. Stand therefore. Praise God. As I said, it applies to our acceptance of one another. Will he reject an entire congregation because every IT isn't exactly alike? I'm not talking about the charismatics. 
I don't have any sympathy for the charismatics. I'm surrounded with every kind and flavor of Pentecost in our area that you can imagine. And there's a lot of them I can't have fellowship with. Amen. I have to adopt certain positions in my locality. Amen. That, that, uh, that are the result of what I have to deal with. So do you. Amen. I'm sick and tired, however, of having to count to some of my brethren every time I preach a meeting somewhere. What are you doing with that group? What are you doing preaching for them? Crossing organizational boundaries. Consorting with the enemy. What do you mean the enemy? Just because a man carries a card in his wallet doesn't make him the enemy. I may hate a political religious system, amen, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to X out every single man that carries a card. Where were some of you? I'm going to try to be sweet. It's just really hard to be sweet. To feel so bad and be sweet. It's kind of hard. Take a work of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm tired of that. I'm trying to seek out good conservative apostolic fellowship all across this country. And sometimes I see things I don't like. And sometimes I hear things I don't like. And yet I look sometimes at what they're doing. The work that they're doing. Now some of them are just, they're just all show window and nothing. Nothing behind it. Amen. But where a church is fighting, amen, to bring the doctrine to people and God is filling people with the Holy Ghost and people are being baptized in Jesus' name and there's a change taking place in their life and holiness is something that's beginning to work in their lives. How in the world am I going to X them out just because I have some little organizational conflict? I tell you what Jesus hates it. It was his second greatest enemy. It was there to oppose him every single time. We're not going to let them preach. Bless God, they belong to such and such organization. Or an organizational man. Oh, I can't let him preach for me. He's not in the club. God hates it. It stinks in his nostrils. God doesn't care about our little man-made boundary lines. He doesn't care about little, our little bylaws and organizations. What He cares about is, what are we doing with this truth that He has given to us? Amen. Praise the Lord. The church ride pastor, the founding pastor at one point decided that it was time to remove it from a certain organizational affiliation. He did so, and guess what happened? Sulphur became an unchurched town. It was categorized as an unchurched town. Same church that had been there the week before. Still there, but because it was no longer part of the structure, Sulphur became an unchurched town and it opened the door for somebody else to come in. That's all right. We need some place to... I'm not worried about them. I never even talk about them. We're just a few blocks away. I don't even talk about them. 
I feel like we got enough to offer in our church. Folks that want that kind of church are going to keep on coming. Folks that don't want it, you can do everything you want to and they won't stay. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me tonight. I'm going to try to get off of this in a little bit, but not yet. Not yet. I chuckled when I saw a paper from Indiana from a certain organization and it listed Shelbyville as an unchurched town. And here's one of the greatest churches in Pentecost. I mean, at that time, the elder Calvinists were still living. And I thought, my Lord, to call Shelbyville, Indiana, an unchurched town when one of the greatest preachers walking in shoe leather has been laboring there for years is the height of arrogance and stupidity. I'm not preaching pro or con organization in just per se, but I am saying this. When we start drawing these little lines and makes God wants to throw up, we're not doing the work of God that way. Amen. Praise the Lord. We can't suffer sometimes diversities in operation. I've been in some, some groups, man, they do everything different. Weird. Their whole church structure, service structure is different. And I just feel like a round peg in a square hole. And, and man, it just feels, because that's not what I'm used to. But I look at them, they're sincere, they're godly, they're trying to please God. And at some point I have to say, oh, big deal. Little idiosyncrasy sometimes if it doesn't come out of our chimney, it ain't smoke. Come on here tonight. I'm, I'm fixing to get a little closer to where we live. Hallelujah. And what about pastors that take churches that are already in existence and they have a desire to do something for God and all of a sudden these wonderful people stand up and say, we just don't normally do it that way around here. We're just not used to doing it that way around. That's not the way brother so-and-so did it. I'm not talking about changing the message. I'm not talking about changing the gospel or changing the doctrine. But every man is an individual. Brother Bowie said it well today. We all have our own ministry. We all have our strong point and our weak point. That's why we need one another. But God knows what the church needs. Just because your the, ne- the your church goes through a transition and the new pastor is in a carbon copy of the man ahead of him, doesn't mean he isn't worthy of your respect, your support, your cooperation, your labor, your tithe. Come on tonight, you're getting settled down on me. Praise the Lord. People dig their heels in and prevent a good man from fulfilling his vision and his burden. Give that man enough credit and enough benefit of the doubt and tell him, I'm going to get behind you, me and my family. If we have to learn a whole new system, we'll learn it. We want to have church. We want to have revival. We want to have a move of God. Let me just say this by way of illustration, and I don't mean this in a harsh way. It's just an illustration. Church right, Pastor? 
it's been there uh, some 43 years. <clears throat> it has been almost 30 years, minus one or so, since the founding pastor was there. There's still some people there today that in their minds, Brother Bill Cranford is still the pastor of that church. They have never woken up. I mean, they went to sleep almost 30 years ago. Rip Van Winkle, they have never woke up. And while I honor and revere the memory of that good man, though I didn't know him personally, I appreciate what he put into that church, and I give him the highest honor all the time. In fact, I admonish our people. We've had several pastors in the history of the church. I said, don't you talk bad about one single man, whoever pastored in this church. I don't care what he's doing today. I don't want to hear it. Because while he was here, he preached to you the truth and he helped keep you and your family saved. So you honor him for that. But there's some that in their minds, Brother Bill Cranford is still the pastor of that church. And he's been gone almost 30 years ago. I'm going to tell you something. Brother Bill Cranford did a great work, but he's not the one that's keeping the jewelry off the young ladies today. He's not the one that's keeping the worldliness out of the church today. He's not the one that's keeping the wolf out of the church today. He's not the one that's still fighting for truth in 1998. Amen. I am the one. Amen. While I don't expect people to shine my shoes and mow my grass, though it'd be nice. Amen. Still, I still expect people to recognize that you have a God-appointed leadership. Get behind that man, even if it's different than what you're used to. Throw your traditions in the garbage can. Amen. You still with me? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, well, it just kind of, just kind of tightened up just a little bit right there. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This, this wonderful church here, for instance, amen, has been well favored with great men. This is a great man, Brother Bass, amen. And when the time came that he felt the need to step aside, he did so and placed his confidence and his blessing in his son. And they don't need me to say this tonight. I'm not saying this because I feel like there's a problem. I'm just saying it by illustration. It's been years now since this good man has been pastor and he's done a great work here. And time has already told that he is not interested in taking this church toward the charismatic movement. But they're both different. They're both uniquely different. And I appreciate them both for their individuality and so should you. Don't expect this man to be a carbon copy of him. He will be in as much as the doctrine and the gospel. But allow him to be his own man. I'm losing you. Amen. What about churches that cannot find it possible to believe that they can have revival? Just because it ain't never happened that way before around here. That was the problem at Nazareth. 
the unbelief that Jesus encountered at Nazareth where the Bible said he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Their unbelief was rooted in their tradition. Because they could not believe that God could raise up somebody right up on their own city streets that could revolutionize that town. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. Amen. If your pastor happens to be a local yokel, and you can remember when he was a snotty-nosed kid, and he did little old ornery things, you forget all that. Honor him for what he's trying to do today. Have enough confidence in God being able to raise up good men today. And I'm here to tell you, you can have revival in your town. When I first went to Sulphur, I had friends of mine, amen, that wondered if I had lost my mind. If I had taken leave of my sanity. So help me God. I got calls from around the country. What in the world are you doing, boy, settling in that town? Well, I wondered a little bit myself. Except that I was absolutely confident I was in the will of God. And for several years, honey, I'd have left at the drop of a hat if it hadn't have been that I knew I was in the will of God. I left the field not because I ran out of preaching engagements. I had plenty of places to go. I could launch out evangelizing again if I wanted to. Don't want to. God help. If you think an evangelist has just an easy road, just go ahead and try it. The field's wide open. Help yourself. Amen. But I settled there, and the first thing I heard was, it's a burnt-over field. It's a burnt-over field. It's a burnt-over field. It kind of looked that way to me, too. In fact, I preached in that church in the past, and I thought, my God, I'd hate to have to settle here. That's the truth. Brother Witt's from there. I'm sorry, Brother Witt. That's the way I felt. Church was old. I mean, the building was old. The carpet was old. It smelled musty. I mean, a lot of the people weren't friendly. Sorry, Brother Witt, again. But they weren't. And I thought this would be an awful place to have to pastor. Guess where God put me? Burnt over field. Burnt over field. Amen. Well, I hadn't been there but just a few months. Amen. When somebody saw on the side of a tree, just a few blocks down the road from our church on the same street the church is on, they saw through from the light shining down through the limbs of the tree on the bark what they thought was an image of Jesus or Mary. I don't know which one it was. And I mean, here they came from all over the country, burning their candles and, and counting their beads, and they're standing around there by the hundreds. And I'm thinking, burnt over field, huh? Look at all those people that need the Holy Ghost. Some of our irreverent young men him and went there one night, and they elbowed their way through all that, and got up to the front, and they looked... And one of them finally blurted out, I see it! I see it! There's Santa Claus! Another one said, no it's not, it's the Easter Bunny! They almost hung them from that tree. For years I fought against the very thing I'm preaching here tonight. 
good people that had been in church for years, but just because they wanted it to be the way it had always been, couldn't accept a young man coming in there. I tell you what, God has had to raise up another, uh, another generation, but bless your heart, we're having revival now. Lord, help me, Jesus. When I was here last year, I told you about a woman that had prayed through just a few services before coming. And then she went home. Her husband had said, if you ever get that Holy Ghost, I'll leave you. She went home that night and he said, well, is it real? She said, it's real. He said, I want it then. Amen. He's gotten the Holy Ghost. Their two sons have gotten the Holy Ghost. Their daughter's gotten the Holy Ghost. Their daughter-in-law has gotten the Holy Ghost. And old grandma, boy, she was a diehard. She hated it. She fought it. Amen. But she kept coming every Sunday morning. Just kept on coming. Just, and I kept thinking, oh, gal, we're going to get you before it's all over. Amen. I didn't feel like it was my God-given responsibility to take her apart and put her back together every Sunday either. I just kept trying to obey God. Just kept trying to obey God. And one day, amen, well into the year, last year, amen, I, on Sunday morning, I found myself preaching against makeup and jewelry and all this. Man, I got hot and heavy on it. I wasn't even thinking about her. And when service was over, I looked up and there she was. And I thought, oh, my Lord, she's going to think that I was just trying, amen, to pick at her. And sure enough, here she comes down the aisle. She never made a point to go out of her way to shake my hand. But she came down the aisle and she put her hand out and she said I want you to know that I appreciated that message this morning wasn't but a few weeks later she came to the altar God filled her with the Holy Ghost and I baptized her in Jesus name we've had a few backsliders come back that have been gone for years 26 new people by the end of the year we're having revival I've never had so much fun preaching as I am today Come on, y'all help me now. I don't have much strength. Y'all help me. Amen. And the tragedy of it is it could have happened years before. Some folks, instead of sitting there saying, well, we're just going to see what he's going to do now. We're having revival not because they've gotten with the program. We're having revival in spite of them. They're still sitting there. You know, sometimes I wish God would have moved them out. But now I'm glad He didn't. It's just more fun watching it happen and watching their eyes darting around. Can't believe it. Talking about the trouble with tradition. Not all tradition is bad, but some of it will give you a pass of the trouble, friend. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. In fact, 
In fact, I was telling Brother Phillips today, amen, they had remodeled the church some years ago and uh, still had the old platform furniture, pulpit, and altar table, communion table, and, and some platform pews and all that. And, and uh, I really wanted to hold on to that pulpit because some of the greatest men in Pentecost had preached behind that pulpit. Brother Verbal Bean, Brother Joe Duke, other great men, C.W. Shue, had preached behind that pulpit. I wanted to hold on to it. And I wanted to sell the rest of it, but hold on to the pulpit. And something in me said, sell it too. I put it all up for sale. Amen. Very first phone call, they came, bought it, lock, stock, and barrel. You know why? I believe it was necessary to sell it. Amen. To get people to quit just looking back. And start looking forward. I've got to believe that our future is more glorious than our past. I know you may not agree with me, but that's the way I believe it. God saw to it that the original cross that Jesus hung on didn't last till today. He saw to it that the manger didn't stay around till today. Because he had people just gathering around and worshiping around those things. It's not in the physical articles. It's in the spiritual experience. Can you stay with me a few more moments? I'm, try to hurry. Try to hurry. Amen. Praise God. I'll have to put up with all the jokes tomorrow, I know. Amen. Oh, yeah, I will too. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me talk about churches who have growth and yet resent the change. Amen. I, I know one church started having revival. Amen. Church in, an, in a town, 95% Hispanic. Within one year's time, baptized 96 new people in Jesus' name. Hadn't had a move like that in many years. And guess what? Some of them were Hispanic. Oh, I'm standing on solid ground. I'm not worried here tonight. And you would have thought that good godly people would have looked around and said, My, what a move of God. The little prejudices and all that started coming into play. And all of a sudden their sterile little environment had been invaded. Their little order had been upset. Hey, Amen. Praise God, folks got up one morning and decided our church just isn't what it used to be. It just doesn't seem like the same church anymore. Thank God! Thank God! I pastor in the deep south, and brother, I'm telling you, some of the prejudices run deep. And I take a good slap at it every chance I get. I don't believe in that mess. I said, I don't believe in that mess. I don't believe you can be prejudiced and have the Holy Ghost. At least, let me say this, I don't believe you can be prejudiced and be right with God. 
You may have gotten the Holy Ghost, but you need to repent. I'm talking about the trouble with tradition. If God will give me the voice, I'm I'm just going to preach a little bit. I was in one church just visiting one time where the pastor boasted that he had a black man come to church one night. Amen. And he was an apostolic black man, had moved into the area looking for a church. And he told that man, said, look, there's a black church down the road. Maybe you need to go there. We've got some cluckers that go to church here. I'd be ashamed to admit it. Fact is, I'm con- if, as far as I'm concerned, Ichabod's written on the door. That's not the spirit of Jesus Christ. If I knew I had a clucker in my church, I'd preach till it either repent or get out. I had the opportunity a few months ago to preach for Brother Westberg in Junction City, Kansas. And boy, what an experience that was. You talk about multicultural, multi-ethnic. Amen. Call it whatever you want to. A lot of Hispanics, a lot of black folks and white folks. And some of them were not even Americans. All kinds of different nationalities represented there. All having church together, 600 strong. I mean, just rocking and getting with it. I couldn't help but think to myself standing on the platform, this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Throw your stinking little prejudicial traditions out the window and ask God for a real revival. Amen. In the fine tradition of our brethren, let me just say it this way. Done said it and won't take it back. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated, but some folks got up in the morning, some morning decided our churches ain't what it used to be. You know, had somebody there translating, and it was distracting. I have to admit, it was distracting. Amen. And they've eventually found a better way to do it. But, amen, I know it upset everything. And, I, folks, this ain't just ain't our church anymore. It wasn't when you got there, honey. It was God's church. He just let you be a part of it. You need to thank God for your seat in the house of God. So some of them started making up all kinds of excuses. And some of them latched right on, you know, we just don't hear holiness preached as much as we used to. It was a big lie to begin with. Secondly, the very people that said it went to some of the most liberal churches in the area. Full of television, Hollywood, and everything else. It was nothing but a bald-faced lie. Church is suffering and struggling today because of that pervasive attitude. I'm telling you, God hates it. It's an enemy of Jesus Christ. Oh, look at all the fine saints here tonight. Look at all the halos here tonight. The halo sisters and the halo brothers. 
Just don't ever take their seat in that pew. Just don't ever park in their parking spots. You may come to church some night and find that your pew's been taken over by a whole family of sinners with snotty-nosed kids that smell like they haven't taken a bath in a week. God may see to it that it happens just to upset your little tradition. Come on, I know I'm in the will of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Pray that it happens. Pray that it happens. I know they upset things, man. Some of those new people, they don't know how to take care of their kids. They run in and out. They're a disturbance and a distraction. Amen. And sometimes it's very upsetting. You have to teach them every single thing. But I tell you what, it's, I'm having a whole lot more fun doing that than I was changing those diapers, brother. Weeks was talking about today on some of those older saints. I've got to hurry tonight. You can be seated. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. Because he healed. He did these things on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day. Let me slow down here just for a few minutes and I'm going to try to steer this toward a close. The particular story that I read from my text tonight. This man at the pool of Bethesda. For one thing, this is a, a good snapshot of what I'm preaching about to begin with. He is sitting at this pool where once a year, or at some seasonal time anyhow, the angel comes and moves the water and the first one in there gets their healing so you have all these people sitting around just keeping their eyes on the water waiting for the moving of the water after all it was a great event quite a remarkable thing. I don't know when this started or when it ended, but it's pretty remarkable, really. Don't know of that happening anywhere today. The angel coming down and moving those waters. The first person in gets their healing. And everybody has their eyes glued on the water, waiting for the traditional moving of the water. The results were great. Somebody always got their healing. Somebody always got a touch when the waters moved. They were so focused on just the moving of the water. What had happened now with some regularity over some time. That they were completely unaware of a very special personage that walked in that day. 
who within himself had the power to heal every single one of them. See, all he had the power, but he probably wouldn't have done it. I beg to differ you with you. The Bible states in some cases that they brought to them him multitudes and he healed them all. But the reason they missed their healing that day was because they had their eyes, can I say it this way, on tradition. After all, it's a great tradition. The angel is moving the water. And they missed the one that could have healed them all that day. With one exception. The one exception was a man who was out of options. He had no other alternatives. He had quit looking at the water because what was the use? He had no man to take him to the water. So he just stayed there because it was a good place to be where healing was happening, where things were taking place, but himself was not helped. He was out of options. He had no man. That's the only one that looked up as Jesus came through the door. I wonder sometimes what we're looking for when we come to church. What are you waiting for? You know, traditionally, water in Scripture is a type of people. The moving of the water. We come to church, man, we're going to have a move of God tonight. Oh, yeah. Okay, we come, whoop, 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 we do a little juke and jive and dance and whoo, got a little touch. Mm, that was good. Mm. Some people wait for the choir to get up. I mean, they never turn a tap till the choir gets up. You know that's right, Brother Tim. Amen. Some people are just waiting for the altar call. Waiting for the altar call. When everybody's tired, wore out, exhausted. Where did we get into that anyhow? Where did we start that? Oh, now just bear with me a little bit. When I was growing up, I grew up on the cutting edge because my father received the revelation when I was just five years old and... A lot of things happen, revolutionary things happen in our lives at that time. And we weren't surrounded by apostolic people, surrounded with a lot of enemies, in fact. We had to have God's intervention on a service-to-service basis. And I lie not when I tell you that in my experience growing up, I seldom ever remember an altar service. I'm not telling you a lie. I seldom ever remember an altar service. You say, what, you didn't have nobody getting the Holy Ghost? Yes, they got the Holy Ghost. They just got it during worship service. They got it while the preacher was preaching. They got it when the power of God was working. What is this deal? We wait till the altar service. And we come there when everybody's tired and wishing that you weren't there so they could go home. You miss the moving. 
He was already there. Jesus was already in the house. He's done been and gone sometimes. But you think it has to happen a certain way. It doesn't happen, have to happen a certain way. If you need the Holy Ghost, let me tell you something. You can get in the prayer meeting before church starts. You can get in the worship service when everybody's singing and worshiping God. Not a better atmosphere to get the Holy Ghost in than the atmosphere of worship. When a preacher's preaching and preaching faith into your heart, throw your hands up right there and just start talking in tongues. Oh, you didn't believe that, do you? No, no, no. We have to wait till altar service. I'm telling you, tradition is an enemy of the move of God. The only man that didn't have his eyes on the water anymore, that's the one that Jesus could help. And he said, do you want to be made whole? Nobody else looked interested. He said, I would, but there's, there's nobody. I have no options. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. Two reasons why I think he told him to take up his bed. Number one, I, uh, let me just say this first. I, I, I don't think that this man wanted to take up that bed. He had laid on it for 38 years. He would have been only too happy to have left it right where it was. It was a painful reminder to him. He hated what had happened there year after year for 38 years. But Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. You know what he was doing? He wanted him to put on his shoulders the symbol of his impotence for 38 years. This helplessness. Let him be able to feel that he had triumphed in it. Wouldn't you like to pick up some beds tonight and walk with them? Some beds of doubt and despair and disappointment and discouragement and despondency. The second reason I believe he told him to take up his bed is so that other people could see what had happened to him. He wanted to make a public statement. Look what the Lord has done for me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, church. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm telling you, this world needs to know what's going on in here. We need to carry it out of these services. The people on the job need to be able to sense that something happened in church last night. You got a touch from the Lord in the other service. Amen. It ought to radiate from you. They ought to see some kind of witness. And as I said to you at the beginning, I'm just about to close so you can remain standing. The Bible said that Jesus knew he had been in that case a long time. For 38 years, God knew exactly where he was and what he was going through. But he had a date on a calendar. On such and such a date. I'm going to walk in there. And I'm going to renew him. Don't despair child of God. You may have gotten prayed for a thousand times. Don't give up. 